Behold, behold, behold the pale podcast. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. My life has value. My life has value. Behold the Pale Podcast. Crazy world we live in. Yeah, and it is. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Behold, 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 a Pale Podcast. That's no fucking small potatoes. That's a big deal. Behold, the Pale Podcast. Um. Three of us today, rocking and rolling. Myself, Machu. Uh, we have brother Alexander. How hey, are you? Great to be here, like always. Like always, we have a guest that's usually behind the boards, but since last week, he yeah he felt he felt threatened because he got people mentioned his name and he didn't think it should have been. He don't think people should have been mentioning his name when he's not around when he can't just hop on a mic and do it big. Um, so he wanted to pop on, and that person is uh, the the great buddy Butterfuko. How you doing, oh, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm just so happy to be here. I I I I love being on the show and talking about uh, all the crazy things going on in the uh, world that we Are live. Are you still upset about uh, your name being brought up without you <laughs> be, being able to hop in? Hey, hey, what can I say? I mean, if you're going to bring me up, you, you got to let me, you know, throw in my two cents. I mean, that's how it is. You, you, you bring up the buddy, the buddy has to be there. Buddy has to, you know, has to put his you know, knowledge to the test. <laughs> I'm with that. I'm definitely with that. Alex, what do you think about that? You down with the buddy cause? Oh, of course. I mean, I, buddy knows I love him. Oh, that's great, Alex. Really great. I can always count on you. Matt, not so much. But you, Alex, you're a right guy. <laughs> oh, my. That's horrifying. That's a horrifying thing, you know what I mean? Uh, well, well, what can I say? Nothing that I ain't heard before that ain't all lies. Get out of my face. So, 
before the audience fully all everybody turns off their radio sets at home. We're going to pop off into the old episode of the Behold. All right. Welcome to the Behold Zone. Glad to have a good brunch of the brothers with us tonight. Um, you know, with National uh, Women's Day, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much in it right now. You guys won't hear it till later, but we're in it now. Um, we figured we should take a little look back at, uh, you know, uh, some uh, the most glorious women in women history, we'll say. No, just joking. <laughs> just joking. We're, so for a little bit, we've been wanting to bring in some more true crime to the episode. Hopefully you guys out there aren't going to be heated by that. Um, just like serial killers and craziness, stuff like that. To, you know, dip into kind of like in the, you know, the Maddie and the Manson episodes a little bit, but dive into it because there's just so many fascinating characters um, and a lot of them have kind of conspiracies that they either believe or are revolving around them to begin with. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, we figured National Woman's Day is upon us. We, uh, you know, Eileen Wernos up in the building. You know what I mean? So, oh, my, my famous serial killer. I mean, I, I believe, I honestly believe in um the, you know that that women are as capable as men and I am I'm so happy that uh because there's so many times where they just say oh it's it's always focused on male serial killers. I know there's women serial killers out there, but I don't think that they're actually you know talked about as much. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Uh, she's a very interesting one out there, you know what I mean. I can kind. Of, she kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, the Charlie Manson or the Charlie Theron Manson of uh, the serial killer world. You know what I mean? Have you guys? Did you guys see the monster flick with uh, Charlie Theron and Christina Ricci? Uh, me personally, um, I think I've seen a few uh, a few uh, segments. I think it was on TV once. I mean, I really didn't sit down and watch it. Um, I really, uh, you know, I don't know. It's something that, you know, normally I I probably would. It just never got around to it. How about you, buddy? Oh, I love that movie. I mean, come on. I'm a big, 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 big fan of Charlie Theron and also Christina Ricci. Both of them, I thought, did great jobs in that. And plus, also, Charlize Theron, I thought, nailed, nailed her role. She was awesome in that movie. Can't believe you didn't see it. Uh, just never got around to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, other than... Uh, a movie fan. What was that? You call yourself a movie fan. <laughs> hey, I mean, heck, there's so many movies out there. I can't watch them all, dude. I wish I could. But um That's true. Yeah. Um no no Charlize Theron she was I think nominated for an Oscar or I believe a- she may have won. Christina Ricci as well, I believe, was nominated. They they I they I they, they all could have or won or could have not won both of them. I don't I, you know, but that was a big movie that year. Um Kane Hodder is on that flick as well, which is nice. Good old Jason himself and yeah. Our boy fucking Crowley killing him. Cool. 
You know what I mean? So we'll pop into the episode a little bit for out there. Anybody out there that doesn't quite know her story, she was kind of like, you know, she was a like a like a trucker, highway prostitute type deal, and you know she would go about her biz and do her biz, and uh, some of the folks, you know, after they came, they went. You know what I mean? It was adios. <laughs> It was boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. Forget about it. Um, now, I f- we're gonna get into the whole deal with her, but um, you know, she always felt like she was kind of doing, you know, the, the the greater good. Which me and me and the boys before the episode started recording, we're talking about how interesting it is that you know some of these folks feel like they're actually they're doing. Not God's work, you know what I mean? But they're doing uh, the work for the all-out greater good. Well, they're doing someone's work, whether it's God's work, the devil's work, or just, you know, their own work. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the one thing I've learned in life is that no matter how horrendous someone is or what they do, they always have a way to rationalize why and what they do. So right. in their mind, they're never the the villain. They're always either uh, a victim or you know a hero or something like that. I mean, everyone. I mean, no matter what they uh, what people do, they can always find excuses for why they do what they do. That's true. That's horrendous and true. You know what I mean. Um, speaking of devilish things, you see Studio Six Six Six. Yeah, I, yeah, you and I went to see it together. I know that the Boombasticast show; those guys did. They, they interviewed the director, BJ McDonald. Yeah, uh, that was a good episode. Anybody that likes that type of deal, but I know that sometimes entertainment and uh, serial killers and conspiracy terrorists and truther don't quite always go hand in hand. But you know it goes hand in hand, two hands gripping a pistol or some other weapon to kill a dude after you just had sex with him for money, <laughs> and he's trying to be a foul dude, and you need to get blasted. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the story. That's the just of uh, the unfortunate tale um, that happens all too often. I'm sure you know. Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, it's safer just to keep with uh, right-hand Sally and uh, left-hand uh, Louise. Do they get along at least? Uh, sometimes. Uh, sometimes they, uh, they, 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 they fight. But uh, for the most, uh, most time, they work together. When they get jealous of each other, they work the hardest. That's his favorite part. <laughs> All right. It's like milking a cow. You gotta have respect for Eileen. We're about to get into a story here, talking about okay. those things. You're a wild guy. She would probably take you out the picture for acting that way. Right, well, that, that's why I would never, never, you know, uh, go into those uh, seedy kind of relationships. Uh, <laughs> I doubt that, Alex. I know you. Yeah, you're a dirty, dirty guy. Yeah, yeah. buddy. Yeah, buddy. But uh, yeah, I I would like to think that I I would not find myself in that situation. <laughs> well, you never know until you're there, my friend. But let's pop into the story of Eileen Warnos, who 
has the mind of Charles Manson in the face of Ted Nugent. Now, she was, <laughs> she was born Pittman, uh, February 29th, 1956. Passed away October 9th, 2002. Uh, serial killer. And uh, in 1989 through 1990, while engaging in street prostitution along highways in Florida, uh, she shot dead and robbed seven of her male clients. She claimed that her clients had either raped her or attempted to rape her, and that all the homicides were committed in self-defense. She was sentenced to death for six of the murders, and on October 9th, 2002, after 12 years on Florida's death row, was executed by lethal injection. You know, a lot of people, first of all, putting people to death is a big topic that people sometimes don't always see eye to eye on. Um, And then you got to go kind of into the humane ways. You know what I mean? Hawk, how do you feel about lethal injection, or rather the death sentence? Well, I mean... It's 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 funny because of I mean I actually I mean when I was in college I I did a report on you know you know the the statistics and and all that about you know the death penalty and and supposedly if the statistics are right that there's it's not a great deterrent uh, because it doesn't seem to deter those who are doing the horrific acts to begin with. Now, the way I see it is that it's, it's, it, it's very tricky because I, I believe that when someone does uh, a horrendous act, especially a taking a life, that they should, they should uh, pay with their life, but here's 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 the problem, okay? And it has been proven time and time again that a lot of people who find themselves in uh, either death uh, death row or in prison are also innocent, okay? Because there's a huge failure in our judicial uh, system. Yeah, and of course, no one wants to fix that because uh, prisons are big money makers, and of course, uh, that's that's why you know we are you know we are in the situation we are in, and of course, after you know killing someone, uh, there's no no chance of you know appeal or, or, or anything like that. So I mean, it's. So I'm kind of, it's, it's hard because on one side, my sense of eye for an eye and, you know, the retribution side would say, yes, I believe in the death penalty that someone goes and does a, a horrendous act against another person should pay drastically and should not be allowed to have three square meals a day and be, you know, living off of our taxpayers' money. But then again, the other side of me also knows the the reality of the situation that a lot of people end up there either you got 
you know, those in charge that just railroaded them in. You got, you know, um, prosecutors just looking to win the case. You get defense attorneys who just don't give a fuck. Okay? They don't care as long as they get paid. And then, of course, uh, and then, of course, you get poor people who end up in that situation that, you know, shouldn't be there. So, I mean, unfortunately, when you have so much uh, possibility of, of innocent people being stuck in that situation, I have to go with the fact that, no, I think uh, we should stay with life imprisonment. I mean, yes, I mean, there's some people I think that should be just, you know, uh, gotten rid of. But then again, the, the sad part is, a lot of those people are the ones running the prison system. <laughs> those who are profiting over, you know, just shoehorning uh, poor people that just couldn't get, you know, good lawyers and all that into, you know, jail cells so they can stop uh, keep making money. So, I mean, unfortunately, it's not an easy answer. It's not an easy situation because there's so much... Uh, uh, you know, things happening behind the scenes that is solely motivated just on greed and power. And unfortunately, that's the situation that uh, we in, in, in America find ourselves in, I find. All right, cool. And that's all the time we have this week for Behold the Pill podcast. And I'm uh, sorry, I just kept on rambling on. I don't even need to ask Butterfuco man over there what he feels about it because I know that he he feels there shouldn't be a prison system because he's always finding himself locked up <laughs> in some type of restraint system, some type of uh, organization trying to keep him down. <laughs> well, Matt, what can I say? I'm always innocent. I'm always innocent. I tell you, God damn it, those damn dirty cops. Um, <clears throat> all I gotta say is. I understand what Alex is saying. And I mean, the thing is that I, and since I have, you know, experienced uh, <laughs> being locked up uh, on occasion, not my fault, I might tell you. But uh, yeah, that is it's it's hard hard to say because I mean, there are those that that do belong in there and there are those that don't and unfortunately if you ask my honest opinion there's a lot more people who shouldn't be in prison that are in prison than those who should be in prison a lot of those who should be in prison are like Alex said running the goddamn prison I mean, that's the situation. That's the, the place we live in. I mean, there's too many people that are profiting over just locking up uh, poor men and women uh, so they can, you know, just suckle on the teeth of... Uh, of our taxpayers' money. If they were going to get shower you in drugs and alcohol, buddy, would you have a dip? Would you have a change of heart, though? Honestly. Well, I mean, it depends. 
how much money and how much uh, booze we're talking about. <laughs> Enough. That's how much. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's an interesting deal. You know, I feel like serial killers should almost kind of. If you've got if you got a big body count that you that it was definitely you you admitted to doing or whatever, or they got all they get the real evidence on you. It's tricky because when it, you know evidence can always be corrupted and stuff like that if they're really trying to get somebody. Um, but like if it's cut and dry, you know I think if you're gonna kill off humanity, then you don't really need to be here yourself type deal. Um, I think, you know, put them on the death row, I guess, for a little bit, give them a nice reality show. And then, you know, it'll be very dramatic. They could win. Uh, they can get their Emmy after the fact, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, in, in Memorial. But um, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause the whole thing about people wrong, the wrongfully accused deal. That's the only reason why you can't kind of just be like, boom, Forget about it. You know, if you want to fucking go killing off a bunch of people, it's almost like that's the game you pay to play, baby. You know, if you want to, it's the gamble you take. You know, you get caught up doing that shit, then you're gonna, they're going to pull your card type shit. So that's my thing. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that if uh, if you don't go to prison, you just go into politics. Yeah, well, there you go. So she was born Eileen Carroll Pittman uh, in Rochester, Michigan. You know, whoop, whoop. Uh, in February 29th, 1956, her mother, Diane Wernos, uh, was born 1939, I think around my birthday, uh, was 14 years old when she was married to Eileen's father, an 18-year-old. So that's kind of an interesting deal. Uh, Leo Dale Pittman, um, from 1936 to 1969, he dropped off. On June 3rd, 1954, that's when they got married up. Now, on March 14th, 1955, not to throw a bunch of dates at all y'all out there, because who wants to hear a bunch of dates? But this that was an important date, March 14th, because we, we were about to hit it, you know what I mean? Probably the, when this episode drops, so hell yeah. Uh, Diana gave birth to Eileen's older brother, Keith. After less than two years of marriage and two months before Eileen was born, Diane filed for divorce. She gave birth to Eileen at the age of 16. Yeah, so the the and that and she had the brother before that too. That's tricky, man. That's like a really young uh, mother. And now she never met her father. Some would say that that creates issues right there, uh, as he was incarcerated at the time of her birth. Uh, Leo was diagnosed with schizophrenia, which I think kind of ran the family a little bit. You know what I mean? It's a very uh, interesting deal. I wonder what the medical running in the family you know is schizophrenia something that is inherited do you know um i I would feel like yeah probably yeah i mean the thing is i mean i don't know the specifics but i do believe schizophrenia is um it is uh a a um hereditary uh mental disorder he was Um, yeah. yeah and and the thing is that with all of that stuff you just mentioned. I mean, I mean, she's definitely was uh, primed to definitely go off the rails because of upbringing. Let alone, I mean, it, it's it's interesting if you want to get into the fact of nature versus nurture. It's a combination of both. I mean, you can have two people with uh, the um, same upbringing. 
and each one go in a totally different direction. Or you can have, you know, two people that are genetically uh, uh, the same that, you know, go or that go through the same thing and then they end up being very similar in what, what happens. Yeah. I mean, especially if, if she ends up being, you know, her mother's so young at that time, mm-hmm. giving birth to her and the brother. I mean, she probably, I mean, unless she had, you know, family actually helping her, then she's trying to raise them on their, her own. And of course, there's not a, a father there as, as another person to help with the load. And of course, I mean, you can only assume what kind of the um, life that they had. And plus also, if you throw in schizophrenia as, as hereditary, any other mental disorders or situations that might have been passed down, whether from the mother or the father or both. I mean, it's no surprise that she, you know, ended up being pretty messed up. Yeah, and we're still in after-school special mode right here. It hasn't even gotten too heavy for us. So uh, prepare prepare for the heaviness. Uh, now, he was the father was later convicted of raping a seven-year-old girl, which that right there is horrible ugliness. You know, automatic. You think of the mother being so young, and then you also got a, I think, the perversion of that, of going that deep into perversion. Um you know, you can't kind of, you can't, you can't kind of say that nothing did happen with her and between her and him, you know what I mean? When, 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 when it's just that wild, you know what I mean? Uh, your mind wouldn't be blown and it's very close to him being a predator to her, which is horrifying, you know what I mean? Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't horrifying for too long, I guess, because he committed suicide. He did the right thing. By hanging in prison on January 30th, 1969. I have a question. Did he hang himself or did he go the, uh, the Jeffrey Epstein route? Um, it's, yeah, that's a good question. It's possible that he went, somebody assisted him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that uh, usually if, if uh, someone goes into prison, and is known as a a uh, a child uh, uh, abuser. They usually don't last long in there, whether it's you know self inflicted or whether you know someone helps them along. Uh, we've talked about death videos on the show before. I remember I seen a video once where it was in like a Mexican prison, and uh, I can only hope, I guess, that the dude that was hanging himself up was doing so because he was a foul rodent that did something scummy like that to a fucking kid or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, but it could, I guess, realistically, it could have been something as unfortunate as fucking not wanting to pay a ransom to whoever, you know what I mean? He was in there with, but yeah, he, they, they hung him up like that too. So that's a good question. That brings up a really good point, whether he did it to himself um, cause I don't know how much guilt these people feel about their actions. They got upset. They got caught, of course, but I don't know if they're actually guilty about how kind of depraved the, their actions are. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's going with what uh, was said earlier, yeah. which is the fact that, I mean, no matter, I, I mean, how horrendous someone is, they always find 
an excuse for why they do it. I mean, the most common is like, oh, I was born this way. It's a disease. I can't help it. I mean, the truth is that there might be truth to that. There might actually be truth that some people, for whatever reason, are genetically um, predetermined to kind of go that way for whatever reason. But then again, everyone has choices. And as uh, one person uh, uh, has taught me is that everyone has a choice as long as you're willing to suffer the consequences of that choice. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact is that it's, I mean, no matter what you're telling yourself, I mean, if, if you're doing something horrendous like that, I mean, you should expect to be punished because, I mean, that is definitely uh, disgusting and horrendous. So he he hung himself out to dry on January 30th, 1969. 69's very notable year for the Manson situation. And she does have a Manson-like mind. I wonder if there was some type of uh, crossover there. You know what I mean? But in, in January 1960, when Wernos was almost four years old, Diane abandoned her children, leaving them with their maternal grandparents, Lori and Britta. Uh, both alcoholics, which is always a good look, who legally adopted Keith and Eileen on March 18th, 1960. Um, you know, uh, I guess them being alcoholics, they, they, they don't automatically have to be bad people, but I feel like with their previous past, we're probably going to go down a dark road here too. They could just have a, a sad addiction to the drink. They're not exactly bad folks. But uh, by the age... But by the age of 11, she began engaging in sexual activities in school in exchange for cigarettes, drugs, and food. It sounds like you, my friend. <laughs> uh, she had also engaged in sexual activities with her brother. Uh, Werno said that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted and beaten her when she was a child. So there you go. There's the dark road we were talking about before. This is very tragic stuff. When I hear these stories, it's heartbreaking. You know, it's heartbreaking that anybody should have to go through any shit like this. It's fucking ugliness. You know what I mean? Uh, before beating her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. Whoo! 19, that's a grandfather, I believe, right? It's fucking, what a world. In 1970, at age 14, she became pregnant. I was around the age, that's when her mother became pregnant. Very interesting. Uh, having been raped by a friend of her grandfather. You know, horror, absolute horror. You know, grandfather was, he was doing shit and he said, let his friends, uh, let his friends enjoy too. That was, that's, you know, this shit, you know, this is real life stuff, unfortunately. Now she gave birth to a baby boy at home for uh, for unwed mothers uh, on March 23rd, 71, the child was placed in adoption. So that kid's roaming the earth to this day. They should find him because I think that schizophrenia and some of the madness that came with her, uh, and I'm sure her fucking f old man was a lunatic in the mind. It was not a beautiful mind, if you know what I mean. It was an ugly mind. Uh, like, 
Somebody find that kid, figure him out, help him out. Uh, a few months after her son was born, she dropped out of school. I got to give her credit for going to school while she was pregnant. That's big. That's fucking, that ain't no small feat. That sucks. I wouldn't want to do it. Um, at the same time uh, that her grandmother died of liver failure, uh, when she was 15, her grandfather threw out of the house and she began supporting herself through prostitution and living in the, in the woods near her old home. So at 15 years old, she was forced out into the streets uh, and she lived in the fucking woods. You know, by 15, she lived a fucking a lifetime already. You know what I mean? She had a kid out there that she couldn't have anymore. Uh, the, the madness of that. What's crazy is, you know, it's almost for the better, I feel, that the grandfather got, got rid of her because, which I'm very surprised that the grandfather got rid of her because with the grandmother dying, you almost get the vibe of, like, he would need someone to take care of uh, take care of her, you know what I mean? Take care of him, rather, the grandfather. I thought that's a weird move, unless he had somebody else he was moving in or something, because typically that she would take over the duties that the grandmother did, you know, washing clothes and that old that old school way of, right, you know, right, having right. my dinner on the table at 5 p.m. <laughs> shit, you know? Well, I mean... Old deal. Um, what can I say? I mean, I actually love lo- lo- living, living in the, the woods. woods I mean, I got a cabin up in Maine. What was that like, buddy? That I I go, um, you know, a few times a year. I I I, I find it serene. I do. I do. I and I, I like going out. I like listening to, you know, the woodland creatures and, and, and smelling the pine and, and, and I love that. And honestly, I mean, if, I mean, I, I could understand and I, I would know. I mean, I wasn't in their situation, but I think probably, you know, living in the woods probably was the best time of her life being away from people abusing her. I would assume, I mean, if she was in the woods by herself or, but then again, I mean, living in the woods is, is hard. I mean, anyway, I mean, it's, no, I'm with you. Right. but I mean, I mean, I mean, the thing is that, I mean, honestly, I'm frigging, you know, you know, it's just, you know, you're listening to the depra- depravity of, of the human psyche, which, which has no bounds. There's so many people that just like hurting other people for no other reason, just <clears throat> because they can. And it's, it's sickening. Uh, I mean, it's, no, I mean, if you're going to ask me if if I agree with you know her, I mean, supposedly from what I I I've seen that you know she killed these guys that either attempted to rape her or who had told her that they raped other women, and in essence, you can think and also agree with her that these guys had it coming. And also the, the, the fact of everything that she had gone through, 
I mean, you could definitely understand and even, you know, support her decision. I mean, but I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, when, when you're, you're so screwed up at a young age because of this lifestyle, this upbringing that you're forced in, you have no choice of. And you're abused like that. I mean, you have two choices, really. You have to either, you know, try to help other people like you out of that situation, or you become the abuser. Or there's actually a third option, where you become pretty much uh, putting yourself... Yeah, you, you two, you two uh, share a lot of the same background and stuff lifestyle so i thought that why you'd be a good guest to have on this episode buddy well i don't know about that but uh but yeah i mean it's 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 extremely uh sickening everything that went there's really no surprise that you know she ended up you know acting out the way she did and, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, we all deep down love watching revenge movies because it gives us a chance. No, I hear you, man. I'm with you. And it only gets darker, my friend. Uh, everybody get their nightlight on because it's about to get real dark up in here. Now, oh, dude, 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 come on, you guys. I don't know if it could go any darker, man. I've been beating it. Jackson style. All right, on May 27th, 1974. Ooh, that's dark, right? So at age 18, uh, she was arrested in Jefferson County, Colorado for driving under the influence, uh, disorderly conduct, and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. Gangster. Uh, she was later charged with failure to appear in court, I assume, there. Now, in 1976, she hitchhiked to Florida, where she met a 69-year-old yacht club president, Louis Graz Fell. Uh, the marri- they married quickly, and the announcement of their nuptials was printed in the no- local newspaper's society pages. However, she continually involved herself in uh, confrontations at their local bar and went to jail briefly for assault. She also hit Fell with his own cane, leading him to gain a restraining order against her within weeks of the marriage. She returned to Michigan, where on July 14th, 1976, she was arrested at Bernie's Club in uh, Mancelona in Antrim County and charged with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. That's attempted murder. You know, she got down. She didn't play around. You know what I mean? You want a problem, she'll hook you up. You know what I mean? She's fucking take no shit. She's definitely take no shit. She was a bad bitch, as they say in current music. You know what I mean? You, I think you guys would get along, Alexander. I think you guys would. You guys need a photo shoot. If only we could bring her back from the grave to do a photo shoot with the hawk. So yeah, sixty-nine-year-old dude, yacht club president. So he had some loot. He had a little money. Um, I almost feel like 
came into the picture, maybe there was a, maybe it was romantic at first or something. I feel like maybe he heard her story and was just melted by how traumatizing it is and just be like, I need to like try and make life better for this person. Or it could have been a weird, bad thing, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm curious to see what that was like. Cause it felt like, you know, they got married quickly. Um, at this point in the game, though, it's got that I, Tanya vibe where it's like, I don't think she really knows what a normal relationship is, you know what I mean? So, like, even the bad ones seem normal uh, type situation, which is very, very unfortunate. She hit him with his cane, too. You know what I mean? She don't play around with that shit. The cue ball... That cube throwing a, a cue ball at a bartender's head's heavy because uh, physically heavy as well. Where you're dead, that thing hit you in the head, hit you in the temple. Forget about it, hit you dead right in the middle of your fucking head. Crack you like an egg, my friend. Like Easter morning, your head get cracked open. It's a Cadbury egg inside there. You got to be careful. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I, I know, Alex, you've been in a lot of bar fights in your day. Uh, That's what I, I don't know about a lot of bar fights. I mean, I have been in, 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 in a couple in my life. That's um, one of your go-to moves. My go-to moves? That's um, one of them. That's one of uh, them. No, my, my, my go-to move is grab the bar stool, hit them as hard as I can, and then run as fast as I can. <laughs> well, that works, too. <clears throat> If that don't work, give him esophagus cancer. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and with that being said, on July 17th, her brother Keith died of esophageal cancer, uh, and she received $10,000 for his life insurance. Her and Fell uh, annulled their marriage on July 21st after only nine weeks. In August of 1976, she was given a $105 fine for drunk driving. Those were the days... She used the money uh, inherited from her brother to pay the fine and spend the rest within two months buying luxuries, including a new car, which she wrecked shortly afterwards. So she was kind of one of those uh, troubled souls, they say. You know what I mean? Um, In 1978, at the age of 22, she attempted suicide by shooting herself in the stomach. Which uh, Reservoir Dogs teaches me that the worst, most painful place to be shot is in the stomach. Between the ages of 14 and 22, she attempted suicide six times. That's so dark, the fucking lights on my, in my house just fucking turned off and on. That's how dark that was. On May 20th, from ni- uh, 1981, she was arrested in Edgewater, Florida for the uh, armed, for the armed robbery of a convenience store where she stole $35 and two packs of smokes. You know, you always hear that weird deal where like robberies at 7-Elevens and gas stations and stuff. And it's like people lose their lives. And it's like, what for? And you find out they only, it was like $10 out of the registry. You know what I mean? Uh, She was sentenced to prison on May 4th, 1982 and released in June 30th, 1983. She she was incarcerated for my birth. That's very sad. On May 1st, 1984, she was arrested for attempting to uh, pass forged checks at a bank in Key West. Uh, on November 30th, 1985, she was named a suspect in the theft of a revolver uh, and ammunition in Pasco County. 
She got that phone call while eating a turkey. She was like, shit. On January 4th, 1986, she was arrested in Miami and charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice for providing a, a identification bearing her aunt's name. Miami police officers found a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammunition in the stolen car. On June 2nd, 1986, uh, what's this? Volsia County deputy sheriffs detained her for questioning after a male companion accused her of pulling a gun in his car and demanding 200 bucks. She was found to be carrying a spare ammunition. The police discovered a 22 pistol under the passenger seat that she had occupied. You know, she later in this, you're going to get what it gets down to some of the conspiracy element of her, her, you know, her whole deal is that she she claimed that she was kind of used as someone to clean up the streets, like that the FBI and everybody knew that she was out there doing what she was doing, and they allowed her to do it for a certain period of time until they got what they wanted out of it, and then they kind of busted down on her type deal. Um, and her her some of her theories get really out there. Very, like I said, very Charles Manson-like, you know what I mean? Um, But it's very, when you hear all these different times she kind of dropped the ball or, you know, things that probably should have put her away for more time, you you, you do kind of, in a psychopath's mind or a schizophrenic person's mind, to have all this, have all these kind of facts, I guess, line up on one side of an argument you know, could make them a little more crazy into thinking something that was a little bizarro uh, was true. You know what I mean? But who's to say? Maybe she was right. Who knows? Um, But in 1986, 30-year-old Eileen met 24-year-old Tyla Moore, Tyria, Tyria Moore, a hotel maid at the Daytona Beach gay bar called Zodiac. And Alex used to work there back in the day. Now, they moved in together, and uh, Amy supported them with the earnings as a prostitute. Now, this, I believe, was the Christina Ricci character from Monster, if I remember, I think. I watched Monster when it first came out, and I haven't caught up with it um, since. But I should rewatch it, because I remember it being pretty good. Um, on July... 4th, 1987, Daytona Beach police detained uh, Wernos for more uh, and more at the bar for questioning regarding an incident in which they were accused of assault and battery with a beer bottle. Another item that could kill you. You're hit in the face with it. You ain't going to dig it. Now, on March 12th, 1988, she was accused. Uh, she accused a Daytona Beach bus driver of assault. She claimed that he pushed her off the bus following a confrontation. Uh, Moore was listed as a witness to the incident, which was her girlfriend, I believe. So we all know what side she's going to lean to. Later at the trial, uh, Eileen stated, it was love, love beyond imaginable. Earthly worlds cannot describe how I felt about Tyra. Before her execution, uh, she claimed to still be in love with Moore. So that's a true love story right there. That kind of reminds me a little bit of Heavenly Creatures, very uh, under-the-cuff Peter Jackson film. 
So, yeah, what do you think about what we just said thus far? You know, definitely, unfortunately, a, a fucking er- troubled youth. You know, a lot of early signs that something you know, just wasn't quite going in the right direction. You know what I mean? Something kind of went off the rails a little bit. And I think we don't even need to say something. She was horribly sexually, physically, and mentally abused. You know, the human mind and soul can take only so much before it snaps and puts itself in a world. I think it puts itself in a world that blocks out everything else. So the delusion goes so heavy that it, it blocks out all that, the pain and everything. Which you're, you're talking about some serious blockage. Um, and that means some serious brain re, re, uh, rewiring is going on. And with having that schizophrenic, uh, so, you know, stuff from her past with her bloodline, uh, it's, it's not a good combo nation across the nation. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's obvious that, um, and with everything that's happened to her, I'm, I'm sure she was desperate to find anyone to find a connection with, to find the love that she was missing. And, and I mean, I don't know much about the other woman, but I can only assume that she might have also had a similar upbringing or if not similar, at least could understand where, uh, where the uh, where, uh, uh, she was coming from, yeah. so the two of them bonded and then they became you know you know they they loved each other because I mean whether you know it was it, it was at least the love that they they understood that they uh, they figured that it was definitely better than anything that they'd experienced before, right? And that's why they were so you know entwined to each other because they would probably definitely two damaged people that were looking for someone to, you know, believe in and, and they found each other, which, you know, you know, is, 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 is great, but also sad how everything turned out. Um, I mean, it's, I mean, un- unfortunately, I mean, one would hope when you have two broken people that they find each other, make each other whole other times that you get two broken people that they don't quite make each other whole. They think that they make each other whole and then, but they still act out because of what they've experienced and how, how they've been treated. So it it kind of intensifies their reaction to an already bad situation. Right. I agree with that. I'd be curious to see what the, you know, more the, the girlfriend's background was. I, if, if the memory serves me correctly from the film, it wasn't the best of lives. Uh, it was one of those weird things where I think Eileen actually saved her from really like kind of a bad environment. You know what I mean? It was like a, a twisted love story type deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's what I remember too. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it kind of reminds me of um, one of Matt's and my favorite movies, uh, Natural Born Killers. <clears throat> and, you know, it's, it's, you got these, 
you know, two very broken people that found each other and, you know, and, you know, things, you know, just kind of just went even farther down the rabbit hole. But, you know, it's, I mean, when, when you have two different people that experience, you know, hardships that are similar, they try to find, you know, <clears throat> try to find a, a, a way to connect. And they connected. And unfortunately, you know, uh, it wasn't a fairy tale ending. Well, to get a little deeper into some not fairy tale endings, we're going to dive into the murders, the actual murders themselves, ladies and gentlemen. Put your night lights back on as we venture in. All right. All right. First up, you know, I did, you know, she murdered seven men within a period of 12 months. You know what I mean? And then you ask yourself, how active are you in your everyday life? You know what I mean? You got to appreciate hustle, I guess. I don't know. So Richard Charles Mallory is the first dude up on the block. Age 51, electronic store owner in Clearwater. Uh, date of murder, November 30th, 1989. Uh, you know, Eileen claimed that Mallory beat her, raped her, and sodomized her after he drove her to an abandoned area for sexual requests. Mallory uh, was Werner's first victim, and she claimed to have killed him in self-defense. Later, it became known that Mallory had previously been convicted for attempted rape in Maryland. Two days after the murder, uh, a Volusia County deputy sheriff found uh, Mallory's abandoned vehicle. On December 13th, his body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times, and two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of death. So that dude got popped up in the lung. What's kind of gangster about that is, like, it leaves you with a little something. It's not just like a headshot where it goes all black, but it's almost like a statement. Whenever there's that, whenever someone's, like, shot like that, where it's, you know, there's time to kind of calculate where you want to shoot somebody, and that you know the headshot is almost the obvious movie choice, but when they shoot him in like a lung, you know it, it feels more personal because there's it's gonna get going out painfully. You know what I mean? It's troublesome. Now, as far as her accusations and stuff, like this dude turned out to kind of be the shitty dude that she claimed him to be. So that's very interesting in itself. You know what I mean? And it goes to say that there were she did as a prostitute. There was still Johns that she would see and have sex with, and not kill. You know what I mean. So it wasn't like she killed everybody that came down the pumpkin patch. You know what I mean. Uh, next up, David Andrew Spears, age forty-seven, a construction worker in Winter Garden. He was declared missing uh, as of May nineteenth, nineteen ninety. On June 1st, 1990, his naked body was found along U.S. Route 19 in Florida in Citrus County. He had been shot six times by a 22 pistol. You know, and for everybody out there, it's not really gun efficient. Out of the 22 pistols, not your biggest caliber bullet. You know what I mean? It's uh, kind of a small kind of 
caliber. Yeah, it's it's kind of bullet that I mean, it can definitely do damage, but I mean, it's it's not like it's going to ever be uh, automatically lights out. It's going to bounce around for a little bit. I mean, it's a small caliber. For sure, like it's almost like a a caliber, like this. It's almost a scare away, you know what I mean? It's not really life threatening. Like if you're gonna get attacked quickly, it's not enough to kind of save you in that situation. If someone just grabbed you and you're looking to kind of give someone a pop, kind of a kick in the shoulder, it'd be like give them a little "What are you doing?" little warning deal. Um, you'd be dead by the time they figured out what you were doing to them, probably. They'd probably feel like they were coming at you, you were coming at them with a stapler. You were fucking stapling them, their belly. Uh, Charles Edmund Karsgadon, age 40, part-time rodeo worker, date of murder. Um, now, I guess we we jumped over the construction worker deal. We All that stuff, we said they found him naked and all that. Um, shot 22 with the 22 pistol uh, six times. There's nothing about him having kind of a past, but it's possible. I wish there was more of a sheet of who was saved, you know, who was spared and who had to go. But, you know, those papers aren't officially. She don't keep track of stuff like that for the IRS, you know what I mean? Um, but we got this rodeo worker, May 31st, 1990. Uh, was a supposed date of death. And in, in June 6th, 1990, his body was found in Pasco County. He had been shot nine times with a 22 caliber weapon. So, you know, it took a little more to put him down. Um, the shot had been wrapped in, an, uh, the body had been wrapped in an electrical blanket. Electric blanket and it was badly decomposing when found. Witnesses saw her in possession of his car, and uh, Eileen had also pawned a gun identified as belonging to the dude. So, yeah, like that dude right there. Another one. It's like I don't see no bad. They went. They they got a prostitute. You know what I mean? Um, and that's kind of the bad thing. The last the last two really. That's all they suppose he did. That's not worth death. Um, by any means, you know what I mean. Uh, well, I mean it's it's the thing is that when when it, it goes back with what I was saying before, and one of the downsides. Well, I mean, like I said, we all love a good revenge story. We love seeing you know the bad guys getting their comeuppance, and you know this woman has definitely been you know abused and. And has reason to at first distrust all men because of how she's been treated by them, but the, I mean, it's it could be uh, you could a go with the thing that all men she killed were because they either tried to rape her or she found out that they were rapists or abused other women, and she took it upon herself to you know. Uh, get revenge, or another possibility is the fact that the first one was that, okay? He tried to rape her, and she reacted, and she killed him. And then after that, she's kind of like, you know, she might have felt good about it. She might have was like, you know, it was justified. And then 
So you might start thinking, well, maybe, you know, I should, uh, you know, look for other guys that deserve to be killed. And then, of course, you know, like you said, she had, real, um, you know, other clients in between that she didn't kill. Maybe they uh, weren't, you know, uh, it could be like a certain way that they, they, they treated her or spoke to her that made her think that they deserve to get killed, whether they actually tried to rape her or not. And I'm not saying that they didn't or that they were good people at all. I'm just saying that it is possible since, you know, they made a comment about the uh, first guy's rap sheet and they don't have anything else about like the rodeo worker and the construction worker that maybe they were just, you know, guys were like, hey, you know, I'm going to go get a prostitute. And, you know, they just said or did something that set her off. That was a possibility, too. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, unless, I mean, it could be many different things. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, next up, we have Peter Abraham Seams. You know, like what you were going with before with those folks, they could just got, maybe she's seen a little bit of like a grandfather's friend or a grandfather in these people. Um, or, or maybe they got aggressive. Maybe they tried not to pay or try to take their money back or were insulting in some way. You know, I think it, I agree with you. I think the first dude was everything that she claimed them all to be. And I think she found a little bit that she didn't like in the other ones, and maybe they weren't as forceful. I think once she j- jumped in the water, she might as well swim, you know what I mean? One of those yeah. things. And I mean, uh, she got the taste for blood, kind of. I mean, that's a possibility. And you listen to some of the interviews, and you definitely know that you, you, you talk, you're, you're, there's someone without a full deck going, you know what I mean, for sure. So uh, Peter here, Abraham Sims, age 65, retired merchant seaman. In June of 1990, uh, he left Jupiter, Florida for Arkansas. And on July 4th, 1990, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida. Uh, Moore and Wernos were seen uh, abandoning the car. And Eileen Palm Print was found in the interior door handle. I mean, you got it. You know, his body was never found. Interesting. So they never found uh, Peter. Maybe he's not dead. Maybe he's with the uh, Tiger King. Fuck, what's his name? <laughs> Carol Baskin's husband, chilling. Maybe. You know? I mean, or it could simply be uh, uh, the fact that uh, I now you said he was what sixty-five. Yep. Uh, now the guy that she married, like for like a few weeks, he was what sixty-nine. Yeah, he's an older dude too. Yeah. So I mean. Like I said, I mean, we're just speculating here that maybe and why they didn't find the body was that, you know, she, first of all, started uh, wising up and covering her tracks more or the fact that, you know, he just set her off because he reminded her of the husband that she had. And I mean, like I said, I don't know whether he uh, treated her the, the same way that others had or whether he was actually kind to her or not but again you're dealing with another i mean her grandfather was was uh the uh, one that really abused him so i think it it was a fact of that a lot of these older guys 
uh, I mean, could be one of the things that set her off is that these older men preying on younger women. Yeah, the youngest one was 40, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of shit like the presidential rules. You know, you got to be 40 to die with Eileen. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, they are all older folks. I think that's definitely got some vibe to it. They never found his body. Um, he probably went in the water or something with some weight, with some weight to him. Conspiracy theory, they ate his fucking body, huh? Um, next up, we have Troy Eugene Burez, age 50, a sausage salesman. Now that those jokes write themselves when you know you, when you're a sausage salesman and you got you get caught. What's more of an insult that you sell sausage or you're going to pay someone to play with you? Uh, where's the beef? <laughs> you showed him where the beef was. Now he was from Ocala, Florida. Now and on July 31st, 1990, he was reported missing. And on August 4th, 1990, his body was found in a wooded area along State Road in nine, uh, 19 Road 19. In Marion County, he'd been shot twice. I wonder if she was dealing with a bigger caliber of uh, weaponry at this point. Because the twenty two, I'd say you you probably could even if somebody aimed the twenty the twenty two at your head and pulled the trigger twice, um, you could probably survive that. You know what I mean? I've heard that there, there's been stories of people taking nine millimeter shots to the head and fucking not being. Adios, amigo. You know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't suggest it for anybody at home listening. You know, I don't. I don't it's not quite a good idea. But uh, the sausage salesman over here shot twice, went down. Uh, they found him. You know, the ones that they don't find is. I wonder if they went into the water because the other ones were kind of found in the woods and shit. And you know, the water's right there in the woods. Unless something big grabbed them. You know, if there's like bears over in this area with Florida right now, there's no bears. You get alligators and shit and beer in Florida. They could eat them. But uh shot twice. They knew, you know Yeah. And there's a little a couple months pass in between. Uh Richard, Charles Richard, or his friends call him Dick Humphreys. Uh you hear Dick died at age 56. He retired a U.S. Air Force major, former state child abuse investigator. That's interesting. He seems like huh. he fucking was doing, trying to be a good dude or something like that, unless he was into that child abuse for all the wrong reasons. I can only speculate and, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was a good dude. Maybe he was a bad dude. Who the hell knows? Um but that was interesting. A former chief of police. The date of murder was September 11th. Big date, 1990. And on September 12th, 1990, his body was found in Marlin County. So they found him pretty quick. He was fully clothed and had been shot six times in the head and torso. His car was found in uh, Sewanee County. So he took six. I think the record was, what, like nine shots somebody took? Um, yeah, David Andrew Spears also took the six, um, to the head and torso. That's, uh, yeah. Like when you get the heads more execution style, when you hit the chest and stuff like that, you're trying to prove a point. I feel 
or at least make it painful. Very interesting stuff. Um, but they found him quickly. And then lastly, Walter Gino Antonio, age 62, a trucker, security guard, and reserve police officer. Um, now, I will say this. Well, Roke, I'll finish, uh, on November, I'll finish. On November 19th, 1990, Anto- Antonio's nearly naked body was found near a remote lodging road in Dixie County. He'd been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevard County. So what I wanted to say before was like a little, something kind of goes into her story a little bit that makes sense, is the last two people that were killed was one was a retired U.S. Air Force major and a former state abuse investigator um, and a former chief of police. So right there, you're talking about police, the Brotherhood, the Brotherhood of Blue. So that's going to rub the police the wrong way. Then the follow-up death is this dude who's a trucker, security guard, and reserve police officer. That's probably going to rub them the wrong way, too. So you could almost kind of see her point where she said, it's almost like she was killing off these bad dudes until the bad dudes ended up being police officers. And then the police had issue with it, which kind of makes perfect sense when you look at it like yeah. that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, because it, it's obvious. I mean, at least, uh, I mean, that's why they probably uh, finally zeroed in on her and, and Carter was the fact that, I mean, no one really cared when she killed off the construction worker or the rodeo guy or any yeah. of those because, I mean, they weren't important. They weren't protected. Now, I mean, if you want to get into the whole conspiracy thing, is that I mean, those guys could be, you know, all involved in a, you know, you know, a, uh, you know, uh, abusing, uh, I mean, especially when, when you're looking at one of them who's supposed to be protecting child abuse victims and all that, uh, that, I mean, like you said, could, he could very be well involved in it for the wrong reasons. And then working with the other, uh, you know, uh, more law enforcement people that she ended up killing off. And that is what probably really brought the attention down on her. Because, I mean, no one cared about what she was doing before until, you know, the last three victims. Those last two being the police, when you think about it, they were very close to each other, September of 1990 and then November of 1990. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, I mean, it's... And and the thing is, not only are they, you know, ones that could be, you know, involved in something seedy like that, but the fact is, their positions, they're supposed to be the ones protecting us. They're right. supposed to be protecting the innocent. And so, if not, I mean, if you want to also go technically going with what I would assume the mentality irrationale with her, I mean, her grandparents were supposed to protect her and you know they abused her and used her and and all that so she kept on finding people that were supposed to protect her and then doing this horrendous stuff to her and now she has found these guys that their entire job their own you know uh kind of like you know uh, where they are they're supposed to be the ones protecting people like her 
but instead they're abusing people like her. July 4th, 1990, uh, Warnos and more abandoned victim Peter Seems car after they were involved in an accident. Rhonda Bailey, who witnessed the accident, provided police with a description of two women, resulting in the media campaign to locate them. Police also found some of the victims' belongings in pawn shops. Eileen's fingerprint was found on the receipt at one of the pawn shops, and it matched the print that was left in Seems' car. Uh, she had a criminal record in Florida, and samples of her prints were in the database. So. Her past caught up with her. On January 9th, 1991, Eileen was arrested on an outstanding warrant at the last resort biker bar in Volusia County. Police located more the next day in Scranton, Pennsylvania. <coughs> I believe, didn't you go to college in Scranton, Pennsylvania? Yeah, actually I did. Yeah. She agreed to elicit uh, a confession from Wernos in exchange for immunity from prosecution. Moore returned with the police to Florida where she was put up in a motel. <coughs> Under police uh, guidance, she made numerous telephone calls to Wernos, uh, pleading for her help and clearing her name. Three days later, on January 16, 1991, Eileen confessed to the murders. She claimed the men had tried to rape her, and she killed them in self-defense. In November of 1991, Eileen was allegedly adopted by 44-year-old Arlene Prale, who saw her photo in a newspaper. <coughs> I don't know what that really has to do with anything. But a girl turned on her. That's cold. Um, January 14, 1992, Eileen went to trial for the murder of Richard Charles Malloroy. Although previous convictions are normally uh, inadmissible in criminal trials under Florida's Williams Rule, the prosecution was allowed to introduce evidence related to her other crimes to show a pattern of illegal activity. So there you go. That's kind of Manson, like where they twisted up the rules to get him and get her. On January 27, 1992, she was convicted of Malaroy's murder with the help from Moore's testimony. Ouch. At her sentencing, psychiatrist for the defense testified that uh, she was mentally unstable and diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. She was antisocial for sure. Four days later, she was sentenced to death. Huh. Interesting. She, uh, they put her to death pretty quick. It sounds like, like that's kind of weird. Uh, her, her defense uh, made efforts during the trial to introduce evidence that Malaroy was previously convicted of attempted rape in Maryland, which they proved to be true later, and served a sentence in a maximum security correctional facility providing uh, remediation for sexual offenders. Records obtained from the correctional institution showed that from 1958 to 1962, Malaroy was committed for treatment an observation resulting in the criminal charge of assault with intent to rape and received an overall eight years of treatment from the facility. In 1961, it was observed for Mr. Malaroy that he uh, possessed strong sociopath trends. However, he ju the judge refused to allow the records to be admitted in court as evidence he denied Wernos' request for a retrial. So I guess you can really kind of say, you know, questionable if it, it you know, 
it, it really just sparked that first one sparked her off. You know what I mean? On March 31st, 1992, she pleaded guilt, uh, pleaded no contest to the murders of Charles Richard Humphreys, Troy Eugene Barris, and uh, David Andrew Spears, saying she wanted to get right with God. In her statement, the court said, in part, uh, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, but these others did not. Uh, they only began to start to. On uh, May 15, 1992, she was given three more death sentences. In June of 92, she pleaded guilty to the murder of Charles Edmund Karskadon. In November of 1992, she received her fifth death sentence. In February of 93, she pleaded guilty to the murder of Walter Gino Antonio and was sentenced to death again. No charges were brought against her for the murder of Peter Abraham Seams, as his body was never found. In all, she received six death sentences. I think a death sentence is like 25 years. No, death sentence is fucking death. Life sentence, I think, is only like 25 years. But death sentence is, yeah, the big ride. Um, I was very into it. It was weird to find out that a life sentence was only 25 years. Yeah, you, know, you lose a big chunk of your life, but I figured you were gonzo. Um, she told several inconsistent stories about the killings. She claimed initially that all seven men had raped her while she was working as a prostitute, but later recent, uh, recanted the claim of self-defense, citing robbery and a desire to leave no witnesses at the re- was the reason for murder. During an interview with filmmaker Nick Bromfield, when Wernos thought the cameras were off, she told him that it was, in fact, self-defense, but she could not uh, stand being on death row, where she had been for 10 years at that point and wanted to die. Uh, assessed using the psychopathy checklist, uh, Wernos scored 32 out of 40, with the cutoff score of 30 for determining psychopathy the checklist evaluates individuals on 20 items on a 20 item list of antisocial and interpersonal behavior with each of them being scored as zero one or two with maximum score of 40 i want to take this test now so that's kind of that got leans a little bit into my belief like we're talking about a little bit about how the first one kind of was bad news. And then she just kind of fell into it a little bit. Um, All right. Now death row and execution, you know, Eileen was incarcerated at the Florida department of corrections, Broward correctional Institute, uh, the BCI death row for women, then transferred to the Florida state prison for execution, her appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court was denied in 1996. In a 2001 petition to the Florida uh, Supreme Court, she stated her intention to dismiss her legal counsel and terminate all pending appeals. She says, I killed those men. She wrote, rob them as cold as ice, and I'll do it again. As a gangster, that is cold as ice. And I'll do it again, too, so there's no chance in keeping me alive or anything, because I'd kill again. I have a hate crawling through my system. I am so sick of hearing this. She's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent. 
sane and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who's, I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. While her attorneys argued that she was not mentally competent to make such a request, Wernos insisted that she knew that she was what she was doing, and a court-appointed panel of psychiatrists agreed. That's heavy. In 2002, she began accusing prison matrons of tainting her food with dirt, saliva, and urine. She said that she had overheard conversations uh, among prison personnel trying to get me, so so pushed over the brink by then I'd wind up committing suicide before the execution and wishing to rape me before execution. She also complained of strip searches, tight handcuffing, door kicking, frequent window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and catcalling, and distaste and a pure hatred towards me. Wernos treated, uh, threatened to boycott showers and food trays when certain officers were, officers were on duty. In the meantime, my stomach's growing away and I'm taking showers through the sink of my cell. Her attorney stated that Mrs. Wernos really just wants to have proper treatment, humane treatment, until the day that she's executed. He added, she believes that she's written. In weeks before her execution, Wernos gave a series of interviews to Broomfield uh, and talked about being taken away to meet God and Jesus and the angels and whatever is beyond the beyond. In her final interview, she once again charged that her mind was tortured uh, at DCI and her head crushed by sonic pressure. Food poisoning and other abuses worsened. She said each time she complained, with the goal of making her appear insane or to drive her insane, she also turned on her interviewer and she says, you sabotage my ass, society, the cops, and the system. A rape woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Her final on-camera words were, thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Don Bakken's a childhood friend of Wernos, later told Broomfield that her verbal abuse was directed at society and the media in general, not him specifically. Like I said, like Manson, dude, her is her interview, like the interview spoken about right here is definitely interesting, super interesting stuff. You know what I mean? And she believed it. And it's it's a crazy thing where it's just like it's a show. It almost feels like a show, but they believe it. Now, the execution and death official. Her execution took place on October ninth, two thousand two. She declined declined her last meal, which have been anything under twenty dollars, uh, and they opted for a cup of coffee instead. Her last words were, "Yes, I would just like to say." I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th, like the movie, big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. She died at 9.47 a.m. You know, that's some crazy stuff to say right before you're about to die. You know what I mean? Um I watched the Gacy documentary on Peacock recently and I, I kind of got to thinking, it was like, I wonder what it'd be like to know to be on death row and just be like, okay, you know, in a week, 
seven hours, 45 minutes, you're going to be dead. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're walking in, for the most part, capable and a healthy living person, <clears throat> and then you're going to be dead, you know what I mean? Just gone. You know, in the majority of the cases, I guess the, 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 court, the punishment, fit, you know, fits the crime. Um, but it's just kind of a weird element. So, like, people's last words, I think, are really kind of weird. Um, and hers are just, you know no exception as weird as they come um she was the second woman in florida and the 10th in the united states to be executed since 1976 uh, the united states supreme court decision restoring capital punishment after her death her body was cremated her ashes were scattered beneath a tree in her native michigan uh by Werno's childhood friend Don Bakken's at Werno's request, Natalie Merchant's song Carnival from her album Tiger Lily was played at her funeral. Um, she spent many hours listening to this album on death row. When Merchant found out about this, she gave permission to use the song in the closing credits of uh, Nick Broomfield's documentary Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer. Uh, when director Nick Broomfield sent the working editor of the film, this, this is what she had to say about her having a song played in the film. I was so disturbed by the subject matter that I couldn't even watch it. Eileen led a tortured, torture, uh, tortured, torturing life that is beyond my worst nightmares. It wasn't until I was told that Eileen spent many hours listening to my album Tiger Lily while on death row and requested Carnival to be played at her funeral that I gave permission for use of the song. It's very odd to think of the places my music can go once it leaves my hands. Uh, it gave her some solace. I have to be grateful. Now, me and you know, all of us, Buddy too, Mihawk and Butterfugo make movies, so like it is kind of a weird thing where you make it and you release it into the world, and it's not quite your movie anymore. It's kind of the world's movie, and it can be, you know took in however they want to take it and mean different things, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's, that's great about art is that, uh, even in your darkest, uh, days, your darkest thoughts <coughs> that, uh, that when you put something out there, I mean, I mean, in this case, that, that song, that, was what got her through her her tough times in 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 on death row and and the thing is that you know different uh, I mean you can look at one piece of art and get one kind of feeling and then Matt looks at that art and has a different feeling and same thing with Alex I mean it's <clears throat> And the thing is, when you find yourself in that kind of situation, you need to find something to hold on to. And in this case, it was that song for her. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, you know, i just like to say I'm sailing with The Rock and I'll be back like Independence Day. This is before the Rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson was ever even a thing. She was she was hollering at the Rock. 
Uh, well, which is very I mean, crazy. I mean, uh, well, the question I have is, I yeah. mean, if if you listen to like what's he, it sounds like a lot of of, of um, her like referencing movies. Yeah. Okay. She would have. Been I mean, maybe she film, was talking yeah. about like Nicolas Cage, The Rock movie. It's possible. Because I mean, she's talking about Independence Day, uh, The Rock. Um, she said, "I'll be back" a few times. Is I, The Rock the one where you're? I'm with you on that 110. percent The Rock is that the one with the uh, with Alcatraz? The, is that the chemical one? Yeah, with uh, Nick uh, Cage and Sean Connery. It's chemical, right? There's like a yeah. chemical. It's very interesting because she said something in it too, and she. She said in one of her, because she's got a bunch of cool rants, you know, they're crazy. Um, she says that she's like, well, you guys are talking about society. And she's like, you guys are going to fucking blow yourselves up. And he's like, in 2019, when that comet hits and, you know, the bring up the rockets almost like um, the rocks, a comet, you know, the comet's a rock rather. And it's kind of a biological Biological. The movie is about a biological gas type deal. Is it almost like there's some type of? Uh, if I remember correctly, there's a little green fucking thing, right? Or is that a different? Well, yeah, movie? it was a a a, a, a biomedic uh, gas agent. It was like in a green little ball that you know, like melted your face and that kind of stuff. So it's it crazy. Uh, this kind of has that crazy weird theory where you can say that she predicted some shit where 2000, she said it was coming in 2019. We had COVID in 2019. And, you know, some people say that that's like a biological weapon created type deal. Um, very wild. And you go the rock, the comet, you know what I mean? A comet really is just a big rock flying through space. You know, that's, it brings into question, you know, these people that are so fucking crazy, is there some genius there too? Is there some psychic ability? Is there some type of deal where they can kind of see or sense more? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, the thing is that um, it's, I kind of put in the same category as like Notre Dame in the fact that if you, I mean, if, if, if you're crazy and, and, and your brain's going on a different, like, wavelength than most others, that, and, and you start, you know, rambling on about different things, that you can read into what they've said and find things that somehow, you know, connect to something that has happened or will happen. And... I mean, it's, the thing is, I mean, if you sit down and you look at it, yeah, you can go and, and, and um, make that connection, which you just did, or you could be like, uh, she's just tapped out and she's just reciting stuff she's seen from movies or heard from movies and have no actual, you know, insight to what's going on. And the thing is, yeah, you can try and make connections with, what she said and uh, and all of that, but it could also just be ramblings of a of, of a woman who's unhinged. I mean, sometimes you know, well, a cigar is just a cigar. 
with an unhinged woman. I got a couple quotes that from her that I want to ask you if you think an unhinged woman would say. All right. First up, uh, if you can't be a good example, at least be a horrible warning. That's gangster. You know what I mean? Well, I mean it's it's funny. Uh, it, um, uh, I mean it's the thing is while that is not an exact quote from another a quote from uh, uh, a play that uh, old movie I watched. Oh, really? Okay. Well, there's an old movie called Auntie Mame. Okay. That was her quote too. That's more movie ties. You're on to something. I think you're on to something. Well, the the quote in that movie was, you know, uh, you ha- <clears throat> you have this uh, socialite who ends up taking care of, I believe, her nephew. Mm. And the thing is that she's up there trying to, you know, keep the kid because they're thinking that, you know, because she, in, 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 in this story, she lives kind of bohemian lifestyle, which is not, you know, prim and proper. And they were trying to say that, you know, the kid wasn't, you know, it wasn't a good learning experience with, uh, living with her, mm. and her quote was, "I might not know how to uh, raise a child, but I know what not to do." Yeah. And it's 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 different, but it's similar on 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 the on the fact of where if you can't be the person that people aspire to do, you can at least be a warning of not going down your path, which, like I said, I mean, they're different quotes, but it's the same idea, Yeah. which is if you can't, I mean, where, you know, where it's kind of like, if you, if you don't know what to do, you can, you know, you know what not to do because of what I've experienced. And right. you can go with her on that because She's been through so much shit yeah. that she's know the the deepest darkest of reset of, of, of the human experience, and because of that, like she said, you know, I'm she she sees herself as a warning that you know she knows that you know she's definitely not someone to follow. Or, I mean, in example, I mean, as you were saying about Manson, she's kind of almost the anti-Manson because Manson had followers. Manson wanted people to follow his way of doing things. And in her case, she's saying, don't be like me. I mean, look at what happened because of what happened to me and what I became. Don't do that. Yeah. I mean, it's it depends on how you want to read into it. I got more for you. Okay. Uh, to to me, this world is nothing but evil, and my own evil just happened to come out because uh, of the circumstances of what I was doing. Very nice, you know what I mean? Well, you might like this one. People always look down their noses at hookers. They never give you a chance because they think you took the easy way out when uh, when no one would imagine the willpower it took to do what we do. Walking the streets night after night, taking the hits and still getting back up. 
Fuck you, fuck yeah. I gotta give her respect for that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I totally have to say that, um, I mean, it was interesting. I actually saw <clears throat> a uh, thing recently. Um, you ever watch like John Oliver? No. All right. Well, anyway, he ended up talking about you know uh, sex workers and that kind of stuff, and 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 he ended up talking about how you know it's. The, the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the fact that you can get jailed, you know, selling sex, okay, as a prostitute. But then, I mean, if you have a camera there and you do it in front of a camera, it can be considered art or a pornographic film and you're still getting paid for it, but it's, you know, that's legal while, you know, you know, and, and of course a lot of people are trying to use the explanation of it not being legal to cut, to try to stop sex trafficking. Now, sex trafficking is definitely a terrible thing, but there's a lot of, there's, there's, a, there's people who do go into this, uh, sex work willingly and they know what they're getting into but you know it's I mean it's just that there's this huge stigma about it that people can't get behind and and people keep on saying that oh it's ruining families and all that and it's like well the issues with a family dynamic goes way beyond anything like that. And the fact is, I mean, if you look at like Canada, where they actually, you know, have it legalized, I mean, people are taken care of. I mean, they get shots. They, I mean, diseases are down drastically. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, the reason people like her end up in her situation is because of the stigma that we have a tendency to put on those who, you know, go and and actually end up working in in the, uh, uh, you know, uh, in that field. Right. Um, This one's a kicker. Uh, She turned to the jurors who convicted her and she said, May your wife and children get raped right in the ass. You know what I mean? Uh, she didn't give a, f- give a fuck, as the kids say. Kind of reminds me of Gacy with his telling everybody, kiss my ass before he went out. Yeah, it's a weird deal, you know. And I wanted to clear all the lies and let the truth come out. I have hate crawling through my system. That's like fucking heavy metal lyrics. I'm yeah. surprised that hasn't been in there. And then, of course, dead men don't rape. Which we should get that on a Behold T-shirt or something. Yeah. Maybe that'll be the name of the episode. Well, uh, I mean, I mean, it's like I said. I mean, you can always argue. I mean, without knowing everything about the the people that she ended up killing and all that. And I'm not saying that we should all just go out and just kill people. Um, I mean, I definitely understand. I mean, when when you're dealing with you know, uh, you know, a lot of 
And 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 the fact is that I I think because of you know because of the last few people she ended up killing that were connected with the law enforcement. That's why she got the death penalty. That's why they you know pushed her forward. I mean if. If anyone actually sat down and looked at what she had been through, now I'm not condoning what she did, right. but the thing is you can understand how it happened and too many people let it happen. And, and the thing is that I mean, we've, I mean, definitely in, in recent years uh, with everything going on, there's a lot of shit that has come to the uh, forefront of uh, you know uh, what what uh, police officers have been involved with other people that we are supposed to expect them to help protect us and you know it's unfortunately there's like the uh, saying is oh there's only a few bad apples yeah but if a few bad apples are protected by a few good apples are the good apples really good apples that's a good one and with that being said we're going to wrap up this episode. It was a slim banger. Um, my opinion, and you add, add or subtract what you guys think, but I think that, you know, she came from a really bad place. Unfortunately, you know, really bad hand was given. Um, I assume the, the life of a prostitute, you want to kill a lot of those fucking people you got to deal with the way they treat you. So that bottled up, and then I think it just kind of clicked up. And that first one, I do think, probably tried to go deep with her um, and, and assault her, and she did what she had to do. And then I think that after that, I think it was more of a maybe there was there was something that kind of reminded her of bad, bad, you know, bad memories or whatever it is. But it, you know, something came about. But I also kind of think that when she started killing those cops. They turned up the heat on the investigation, whether they were watching her and letting her do it. And then like when she, like her claim is that she, they, they were letting her do it. Um, and she, I, I don't know if she knew, I'm sure if you're about to kill somebody and they're a cop, they probably tell you that. So you kind of weigh out the fact you do obviously get in more trouble if you kill but like law enforcement, then if you were to kill me or the hawk, you know, don't prove me wrong. Don't don't try and prove me right or wrong in the situation. But um, the yeah, I think it's a case of that where you know they they it might not have been, they might not have been watching her. That might have been a little bit of a schizophrenia, the fact that they were watching her the whole time. But I definitely think that they turned up the, the heat once that some of their own took the hit. I think that they were definitely really out to get her at that point or figure out what the story was but you could also make a theory that maybe those people that were cops were bad cops that needed to go and uh maybe you know they kind of let her take them out you know maybe if because they're obviously into some bad shit um you know maybe in a cop kid don't want to kill a cop because that's probably a bad look for them so, but if you put them in a bad situation where they could get killed, maybe that's the way to do it in that world. I don't know. In the podcast world, that's how you do it. You know what I mean? That's all I know. But yeah, very crazy stuff. So that's my take on it. 
And she's very, she's a lunatic. She's a, she's Charles, she's Charlene Theron Manson for sure. And, um, very interesting. Dude, and her mind is gone. You look into her eyes and it's like Michael Myers. It's like the devil's eyes. She had the devil's eyes. She had the blackest eyes. That's exactly what it's like. Uh, she like, it's just solid black. It's like demonic. Like some of the pictures of her, the video of her is straight up demonic when you see her in the video. Um, and I think she was just completely lost. They probably started pumping her full of drugs, you know what I mean? Or maybe not giving her the drugs that she needed. You know, when you need a villain like that, it's very possible for them to have to take you off of your medication so you get loopy and you get weird and you say stuff like that that isn't going to help your case, you know what I mean? You know, we've met the great Gary Busey before and uh, known to be a wild guy, and I think Gary's a dude that, when he needs to turn up to wildness, I think he just uh, wait, waits a couple couple extra hours before having tuna fish sandwich with his medication or something. Um, you know what I mean? Or just doesn't take the medication but um, and play into it a little bit. You know what I mean? You get that wacky wild character that he's known and loved for. You know what I mean? And uh, Gary's the shit. And uh, yeah, but yeah, with this, you know, crazy stuff. This is definitely a crazy thing. Uh, and because we love you all so much, we're going to give you guys her her last inter- her last interview um, where she says some wild and crazy things for your entertainment. You're going to hear that right after the send-off. We hope everybody is killing it in life and doing it big. Um, yeah, I guess if you like this, follow, you know, subscribe to wherever you listen to Behold the Pill podcast. There's a Facebook page for the show. And, uh, yeah, Boombastic Media is the company that pays us. And uh, there's a bunch of other cool shows out there, too. Buddy Butterfuka is a part of those shows. Buddy, I thank you for being on the show, my friend. Anytime. It's always a pleasure, but usually you're behind the boards running the technology. And uh, it's good to get you uh, on the, you know, the cat. We had the cat do your job today, so... <laughs> you know, you were able to join us. I was you, glad to be a part of it. Nah, we appreciate you. You, you the, th- the stuff you do behind the scenes is big. Uh, I don't think anybody will ever fully understand how big of a, a role Bud Fuko plays behind the scenes at the Boombastic World. So we appreciate you. We give you a shout-out. You can always listen to this episode and feel loved. Um, Alexander the Hawk. Yep. You're a king yep. among yep. men, Doogie. I try, I try, I try. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... If you were paying Eileen for a blowjob, she'd let you live. That's how good you are, Holmes. <laughs> she'd, she'd finish up, she'd finish it up. She'd give you the $20 back, pat you on the shoulder and say, fly away, birdie, fly away. <laughs> but with that being said, we kept your ear too long. Uh... We bid you adieu. Oh, yeah. If you like giving money, we like receiving money. Patreon, Boombastic Streaming. Catch film work we do. Catch all our podcasting stuff. Multiple shows on the network. It's all beautiful. And uh, here's Hylian's last interview. We'll catch you all on the next episode of Behold, Behold, Behold. A Pale. Pale. 
podcast. I was just wondering how you're going to be, you know, at 9.30 tomorrow morning. Are you prepared? I'm prepared. I'm all right. I'm all right with it. And how? I'm all right with it, but like I said, remember and tell, let them know that I know that the cops knew who I was after Richard Mallory died. I left prints everywhere, and they covered it up. And let me kill the rest of those guys to turn me into a serial killer. I know they did. Because I was no professional serial killer or anything. I don't know, murderer or whatever you want to call it, you know. It wasn't special at so, what I was doing. Eileen, how, I did how, some sloppy work, you know. And I left how them. have you prepared yourself for tomorrow morning? I, I'm all right with it. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Hey, I was tortured at BCI. They had... They had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Sonic pressure. And every time I was trying to write something, I, they, and I, I think they had some kind of eye in the cell, I'm not sure, but every time I started writing something, it went up higher. So I'm thinking that probably had the TV rigged. The TV or the mirror or something was rigged. They got a huge satellite on the compound. After they put the huge satellite on the compound, it could have been either rigged to the TV set or the mirror or something. Because the electrician, when he put the mirror on the wall, he said, doesn't that look like a computer? The back of it, and he stuck it to the wall. And do you think, what, did that affect your mind, do you think? Huh? Did that affect your mind in some way, the sonic? It was crushing my head, and they were using sonic pressure continually now when I had three meetings with Miss Villacorta on it every meeting I had she increased the pressure of the volume of the calm increased the harassment on the floor increased the uh, trays being inedible just increased every bit of my complaints and trashed all grievances they're trying to make it look like I was crazy at all times, rig up the room with torture. If I said anything about their whole, I think their whole plan was to try to make it look like I was totally crazy. And so nobody would believe anything I had to say about anything. And then drive me there if they could. I suffered so bad. I was really struggling to survive. Had a lot of trays that were attempted murder and everything. I had to wash all my food off. And then one day I didn't wash my food off and I was sick for three weeks, almost died. But you're okay now. I'm okay. I'm okay. God is going to be there. Jesus Christ is going to be there. All the angels and everything. And, you know, whatever, whatever's on the beyond, I think it's going to be more like Star Trek beaming me up into a space vehicle, man. Then I move on, recolonize to another planet or whatever. But it's whatever's the beyond, I know it's going to be good because I didn't do anything as wrong as they said. I did the right thing. And I saved a lot of people's butts from getting hurt and raped and killed too. So are you saying that you killed in self-defense or in, in cold blood? What do you... What do you because you, you've changed your story. I'm just trying to... What are you start talking about? Change story on what? No, about whether it was self-defense or not. I'm not going to say... It, you know, I'm not going to get in depth about my cases, Nick. I'm on my way to the chamber. Nothing's stopping it. 
You can believe it or you don't have to believe it. That's up to you, man. Put a big question mark on your film. What more is there to say about the cops? <laughs> what, what more do you want to say about the cops? A lot of stuff. Did you know that they were surveilling me before I killed? And then I knew it? And that it was covered up? Did you know there was helicopters dropping down from the sky? Deputy Sheriff with decoys picking me up? Four or five months before my arrest? It was covered up? But nonetheless... Nobody ever asked me these the questions. Whether the cops were following you or not, I Oh, whether the cops were following me okay. or not, I mean, okay, what? Let's say, let's say the cops were following you. Yeah. Let's say they were following uh -huh. you and they did everything that you're, you're saying they did. Uh-huh. Nonetheless, yeah. you killed seven men. Yes, you did. And I'm asking you, what got you to kill the seven men? And I'm men? telling you, because the cops let me keep killing them, Nick. Don't no, you not, get it? Not everybody is killing seven people. So there must have been something in you that was getting you... Oh, you that. are lost, Nick! So I was a hitchhiking hooker. Right. Running into trouble, I'd shoot, shoot the guy if I ran into trouble. Physical trouble. The cops knew it. When the physical trouble came along, let, let her clean the streets. And then we'll pull her in. But That's how come why. there was so much physical trouble? Because it, it, it was all in one year. Seven people in one oh, year. Oh, well... Oh, well. But why not say now? Because I'm out of retaliation for taking my life like this and getting rich off it all these years in, in total pathological lying. You know, thanks a lot. I lost my fucking life because of it. Couldn't even get a fair trial. Couldn't even get a fair investigation or nothing. Couldn't even have my appeals right. You sabotaged my ass, society, and the cops, and the system... A raped woman got executed. It was used for books and movies and shit. Ladder climbs, re-election, everything else. I got a big finger in all your faces. Thanks a lot. You're inhuman. You're an inhumane bunch of fucking living bastards and bitches. And you're going to get your asses nuked in the end. And pretty soon it's coming. 2019, a rock's supposed to hit you anyhow. You're all going to get nuked. You don't take fucking human life like this and just sabotage and rip it apart like Jesus on the cross and say thanks a lot for all the fucking money I made off of you and not care about a human being and the truth being told. Now I know what Jesus was going through. They've been trying to tell the truth and I keep getting it stepped on. Concerned about if I was raped, if I... I'm not giving you book and movie info. I'm giving you info for investigations and stuff and that's it. We're going to have to cut this interview, Nick. I'm not going to go into any more detail. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, Society, for railroading my ass. Okay, let's go.